Nigeria Ocean Day. A deep body of water, waves break and curl. Out of the wave faces, swarms of spiral-shaped squid-like creatures dart, spinning hard like tops. Welcome to 10 Pages, the podcast that helps emerging screenwriters workshop their scripts. We're your hosts, Cam Clark and Justin P. Bechtold. Thanks, Cam. Our guest writer today is Adam Williams. Say hi, Adam. Hi, guys. Now, Adam's writing a sci-fi action-adventure feature called Timeline. Sounds great. Let's jump into the first 10 pages. Exterior ocean day. A deep body of water. Waves break and curl. Out of the wave faces, swarms of spiral-shaped squid-like creatures dart, spinning hard like tops. Riding the waves behind them, marine reptiles, ichthyosaurs, launch from the clean green faces like dolphins to snatch up the squid mid-air. Exterior volcano shore. Pterosaurs swoop down from the cliff heights of a smoking volcano peak over the black beach and snap up stray squid, even stealing them from ichthyosaurs before they can dive. Huge alligator-like mosasaurs drive through the breaking waves and beach themselves, scoop squid off the shore, brush off pterosaurs, then hump back into the water. In the deeper water, a dozen long-necked titanosaurs relish the feeding frenzy, heads driving down into the water. Interior ocean. Between the titan's legs, flippered long-necked plesiosaurs drive through the squid schools. Jaws agape, slashing. Some break right out of the water, mouths full, before smashing back down. It's like a prehistoric Attenborough doco. Then, in the midst of one of the dense school squids, a huge glassy cube appears. One second it's not there, the next it is. Squid caught at the edge are cut clean in half. A woman's face peers out of the cube, Tanya Ortega. Hovers dressed in modern casual clothes. Dozens of soldiers and civilians float around her in the background. Now in perspective, the cube is the size of a basketball complex. Tanya recoils as an enormous dead squid drifts away in a cloud of inky blood. A plesiosaur drives at her but shies away at the last moment, skimming a corner of the cube. The side of its body vanishes in a burly trail of guts. The surrounding creatures retreat warily from the cube. It shimmers for a moment, then vanishes, seawater punching into the void, leaving 50 floundering humans and an assortment of high-tech equipment and weapons which instantly sinks. The people, in regular civilians or military attire, are immediately disoriented, panicking and drowning. Tanya sees the surface and desperately strikes towards it with dozens of others. Some soldiers dump their weapons, ammo belts, grenades, while others desperately clutch theirs while kicking upwards. Whale-sized plesiosaurs and shark-sized squid hover, sum them up, decide if they're food or not. They are. A squid suddenly locks onto a soldier's head with its beak, popping it through the helmet. A plesiosaur swallows a civilian hole, leaving a nipped-off foot. Tanya struggles to reach the surface through a red cloud of human body parts as titanosaur heads drive down like trains, taking more people. A baleful eye appears from the chaos and locks onto Tanya. The squid surges forward, tentacles and beak spread wide, hard black. Exterior, rocky outcrop day. Fading card one, Gulf of Mexico. Fading card two, 66 million years later. A small paintbrush flicks a speck of grit off a shiny, brownish straw in the parched mudstone. The straw resolves to a small fossilised arm bone, almost like an infant's. A chisel gently lifts a section of stone below the elbow, revealing the impression of a very human-looking but tiny hand. An iridescent halo coats the rock around it. Female one. Purgatorius. Female two. Darwinius. No grooming claw. So close to the KT layer. The paintbrush passes over the iridescent halo. Knees squat down. Angle, it's Tanya. Tanned, her dark hair shimmers with auburn tints under the noon sun. 
She takes the brush from the other's hand and does some more brushing. Tanya. Close, but definitely above the KT boundary. This one survived the dinosaur killer. Conchita Caracas, 30, smiles at Tanya, shrugs heavy sun-bronzed shoulders at the logic. She points to the gold halo. So iridium really is iridescent? Asteroid bigger than Everest loaded with a million tonnes of the stuff hits out there. She points, revealing they're on the edge of a high cliff overlooking the vast Gulf of Mexico. At 50,000 miles an hour, drives itself down 10 miles, makes the Gulf of Mexico and dusts the whole world in that pretty iridium glow. Must have been something to see. Not for the dinosaurs. And yet this clever little guy, gal, had the nads to survive it. Got to hand it to her. Our oldest true Eve was a little freak. No wonder chicks took over the world. Here's to that. They share a shy kiss and glance around as a team of ten paleontologists chip away at the cliffside at various spots. Tanya levers another section of rock away, revealing the fossilised upper body of the monkey-like primate, a gold halo around its head like the Virgin Mary. She brushes debris away and then pauses, frowns at something near the neck of the fossil, brushes some more. What the? Pass the magnifier. She holds a high-res digital screen over the neck. What the hell is that? The magnifier reveals a gold object looped around the neck of the animal like a collar, regular, symmetrical. Is that a... Tanya zooms in. It's a fine gold chain. Even has a tiny round pendant, too encrusted to discern clearly. As she starts to brush the pendant clean with a trembling hand, a cloud of dust whips up, obscuring everything. A massive shadow looms over them with a dull roar. A futuristic quad-tilt heavy military chopper rises from below the cliff edge, climbing until it hovers over the site like a bird of prey. People scatter as the meaty halo comes in to touch down on a flat patch in the middle of the dig. Tanya and Conchita watch in shock as soldiers open the chopper hatch for a male civilian who exits and strides towards them. As he gets within a few feet... David? What the hell? David Cherico, 35, a slim, slightly manic type, stops before them at a standoff gap of a few feet. I told you this is how it would end, Tanya. You don't say no to these people. Right, so what? You're just going to kidnap me in front of my whole team? The dig crew slowly move in with shovels and mattocks, all wiry, muscles gleaming... David raises a finger, and the halo empties. A dozen soldiers with assault rifles line up between the crew and he and the women. Three soldiers stand out. A giant sergeant with a gold-toothed grill, a corporal with tattoos all over his face, and a tall African-American female corporal. We need your help. I need your help. Tanya shrugs at Conchita and squeezes her hand. Men. Terrific stuff. Okay, Adam. Can you briefly give us a little background about yourself and the project? Okay, my background is in science. I've researched scientists for 18 years. But the whole time, and even from my youth, I've been writing science fiction and action adventure. I had enough of science and was still writing. Got into screenplays through Breaking Bad and uh, some fan fiction. And then decided I'd go the whole hog and do the uh, screenwriting course at RMIT. In that time, I wrote two sci-fi screenplays and this is my third it's been on hold at about page 45 for the last five months or something like that i have a bit of a blockage i've got an idea of i know exactly where i'm heading it's just that as you write these stories character dynamics change characters mm. become real and you don't want to sort of betray who they have become things that you plan in the treatment or the beat sheet suddenly sort of don't make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm now at a point where I sort of have to decide who's going to wind up with who. Okay, so I understand a lot of this stuff is up in the air. Are you able to tell us 
at this point what the story is? Sure. It is a sort of a fusion between the movie Aliens and Jurassic Park. That's mm. kind of the theme I'm, I'm, I'm going for. I was for. thinking of Aliens when I read those first ten pages, yeah. Yeah, and that sort of came to mind after I started writing it. I realised that the structure of it where you've got civilians, possibly even a Ripley-like character mixed up with some military grunts going in and then disaster strikes and one by one they get picked off. So I have read that script very carefully. It's one of my favourite films too. Uh, James Cameron basically structured it and how he... Uh, some of the characters in Aliens are just so memorable. So I'm, I'm striving for that kind of uh, detail and, and character dynamics. As far as the story is concerned, it's about a meteor coming towards Earth from Saturn in the not-too-distant future. It's moving a lot faster than a meteor. No one knows what it is. They suspect it's probably not a meteor. Its target is exactly the same when they do the maths that it's going to hit the Yucatan Peninsula, which is where the dinosaur killer hit. Mm. It's roughly the same size, travelling, they think, at about you know similar trajectory and so forth and so on. It just so happens that time travel has been invented in this world only going backwards, not forwards. So they decide to send a team back to... Is this the near future we're talking about? Well, the people developing the technology at DARPA, the defence, the military technology wing Mm -hmm. and no one knows what they're working on so it could be today okay really fair enough so they go back to six months before the uh, meteors going to hit earth in 66 million bc to study it because the the meteor in the present day is about six months away and they they just want to know if it's got any vulnerabilities what is going on Mm -hmm. unfortunately there's a guidance error and they wind up on the opposite side of the planet to where they're meant to be. And where they're meant to be is the only way they can get home as well. So they have six months to cross the entire planet to get to their living complex. Otherwise, they're going to get smashed by the meteor. Mm. Part of the military team have um, got a directive, and that is if anything goes pear-shaped with the mission, all the women have to be killed because Mm. we cannot afford to have humans breeding or surviving or the whole future time stream will be changed Mm -hmm. so the lead colonel who survives only about 12 out of the 50 people survived the initial disaster Mm -hmm. goes in pursuit of our little group of seven people with the aim of killing the women so not only is this team basically trying to survive dinosaurs and so forth Mm -hmm. and trek massive distances to get to the other side of the planet Mm. they've got this guy after them as well constantly just like a terminator Anyway, they get to a certain point where they realise they cannot possibly get to where they're going. And so they just settle down and think, oh, well, let's just wait for the end. The meteor shows up in the sky. They can actually see it. And then it becomes evident that it's not a meteor at all. Little smaller meteors break off and start coming down, but they're flying. They're zigzagging around. Mm. And it turns out that it's basically an alien invasion from this race of creatures from Saturn that look a lot like giant amoeba, jelly-like creatures they can mimic, they can change shape, and their weapon is releasing giant electrical discharges. When they get to Earth, because they're basically a photosynthetic life form, they want to destroy any herbivore that's on the Earth, and the Earth is currently covered completely in herbivores like brontosauruses mm. and, you know... Aside, mm-hmm. aside from the odd T-Rex or, you know, the carnivores, just about everything eats plants and will eat them. Mm. So their mission is to basically clear the planet of all the dinosaurs. The humans come into the equation right? Um, and eventually the, uh, 
the humans work out that they can actually hijack one of their ships and yep. um, get to their landing site yep. their, and get it get out that way. Mm, I have a ton of questions. <laughs> but can I begin, if you'll allow me, with some big kind of issues that I'm seeing right off the bat. First thing is you're setting up this story with the idea that there is this imminent catastrophe, end of the world as humans know it. But then the film is not about that. The film is about time travelling back to prehistoric times. So that for me is like that's the first issue, trying to zero in on what the actual major goal is going to be for these characters. Let's talk this through. I suspect maybe one of the reasons that you're blocked is because you're you're writing yourself down a dead end because you've set something up but you're addressing something else. So I think perhaps what we need to examine is, is this a film which is set in the present day with an imminent catastrophe or is it a film that's set in prehistoric days? I know that they're going back to study this event to see if it can perhaps help them with the current event. But to me that seems like kind of a weak link because it's not even a definitive goal. It's just let's go and have a look at this thing and see if we can work out anything that can help us back in our own time. I love the setup. It's really nicely written. The descriptions of the beasts and what happens to those people when they arrive, I, I think it's absolutely gripping. But to me, it feels like that's where the story needs to be. The story doesn't, you know, it needs to be about people who have travelled back in time for whatever reason, maybe accidentally, and this is where they've found themselves. You think that should actually be the commencement and there should be no reference to the present time? Is that what you getting it well that's it's, where it's redundant i well let's talk it through but that's how it feels to me at this point mm. i mean i've only read those first you know 10 pages and mm. i've had a look at the synopsis that you've given me but my reaction to that was why do we need all this present day stuff this is a story which is about trying to survive in this prehistoric world the present day stuff was sort of put in there because that will be the sequel oh is the present day. Right, okay, all right. <laughs> that was my idea anyway, so I've got a treatment already f- written out for the for the sequel. But I do get your point in that it, it, yeah, it may seem a little bit confusing, but I, I kind of needed a reason rather than pure research for a bunch of military dudes to go back in time with them. You know, otherwise probably, well, I don't know, I guess dinosaurs are dangerous, but yeah. If I can comment to that is that you can you can fudge a lot of things in sci-fi you can fudge a lot of the science as long as the logic behind it all kind of makes sense and for me there was kind of big leaps in the logic of why like you know like the you know i think the key to this story is to find a great logical reason as to why time travel is the best and most probable answer to that problem you know we have enough resources at our disposal today you know, to make any study of, you know, meteors or anything that would help us. And seeing as nothing stopped the meteor from hitting the earth the first time, you know, I see little point in studying something that actually hit the earth that could possibly help us find out a way to make this one not hit us. So unless, you know, perhaps there's some kind of weapon being designed today that requires something to fuel it that was potentially inside that first meteor that struck 66 million years ago or you know and if they were to travel back and retrieve whatever it is from that blast site that perhaps that could potentially be a nugget of an idea 
possibly it's, you know, it's not a time travel movie at all, or maybe it's not about dinosaurs, or maybe it's, maybe it's still a time travel movie, but a meteor hits the earth carrying, you know, like a virus from outer space that affects the planet. And the scientists surmise that they could create a vaccine from the meteor that hit the earth 66 million years ago. So then that gives them a logical reason Mm. to now go back in time you know, to try and retrieve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking you know. the, the same, similar things. I was thinking there really needs to be a strong connection, a real purpose rather than just... Because if they're going back in time to study um, that first meteor, then they're actually going to be there before the meteor arrives. I'm not sure how much research they're going to be able to do. And they can't do any research after it arrives because everything will be dead, including themselves. So what, yeah. were, what were you thinking? My current thoughts are like with most action adventures is set it over a week instead of six months. I did like the idea of the arduous journey from one side of the planet to the other. The really strong things for me are the arduous journey, obviously surviving in that alien world with the dinosaurs and everything. And I really love the idea of that rogue member of the team who's out to exterminate all the women. I think those are the really, really strong elements. All that other stuff is less strong. I agree. Um, and but I, I do really like um, the idea of the virus. That's a good one. Can I take that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Every, everything that we talk about today is all is all yours to use at your um, own leisure. <laughs> initially, it was just going to be a pure research exploration. They were just going to go back in time, look at the meteor, da da da. There was no reason given. It's and a lot of science clarify, is just what, pure research, yeah, you know. It's just, just to clarify for me, when you say look at the meteor, what does that mean? Well, they were going to be there for six months just studying it as it as it came in, its trajectory, its composition, this, that, everything else, um, as maybe a, a defence against a similar meteor that was going to, you know, that could take out the planet in the future sometime. So it was it was just basic, that, that was it. All I needed was a reason for them to be there. Right. And I'm happy to take any other reasons on board. <laughs> Yeah. make more sense. Yeah, because it seems to me like if they've got six months, they'd be better off spending that six months studying the current, you know, the existential threat rather than six months. Originally I'm there was no existential threat. It was just a research project. And oh, I thought okay. I'd better give them a better reason to right. be there. So I created the, the, the meteor in yep. the present day, which led to the sequel in my mind. And mm. um, if, if it is a glaringly obvious gap in the logic, I'm very happy to take that on board. Yeah, because I see other potential pitfalls in that path as well. Like if you go back to 66 million years ago before we had electricity or the power source that they need to transport something the size of a basketball stadium back 66 million years would be so incredibly huge that they would have no power source once they're there to get back. So that means they need to carry some kind of equal power source with them that is not only miniaturized but mobilized that they can carry that's going to bring them back and then they don't actually have satellites or anything to be able to project out into the atmosphere to study you know the incoming comet or meteor so living complex has all that but it's sitting on the it's got a newfangled reactor and all that 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 is powered and they were meant to be transported into the living complex but a guidance problem yeah so how did the living complex get there that the same way they did, it's just sent, but you know, magic, <laughs> sci-fi magic. Yeah, so I was thinking just on that is that like when you, if you've got something such a, a colossal structure that then that would then suggest that instead of them just like, you know, appearing and 
reappearing kind of like, you know, Terminator-esque kind of mm-hmm. fashion mm. that it would make more logical sense that they've created some kind of time bridge or a stargate or something that is actually opened on both ends so that they can transport, you know, all that stuff there and they can build it and erect it kind of stuff. And so then maybe the time travel element becomes something because you you mentioned the synopsis or in in the script actually that the the targeting system is very, very accurate. So I'm not quite sure how they ended up on the opposite side of the planet. So perhaps the time travel scenario, give it some meaning, is that perhaps for the lead character, time travel also solves a problem for her in her own life that perhaps she realises she could also use this technology to go back and repair something in her own life and that her interference with the technology somehow causes that guidance system to go offline Mm. and ends up, you know, forcing them you know, on the other side of the planet because mm. of her interference with yeah. it. I love the idea. For her own yeah. selfish uh, reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, let me put this to you. What about if it is a research project? The space-time targeting is very, very accurate. What about if there is a team of people and one of these people, for instance, looks at what is happening to the planet now and thinks, you know, the biggest problem that this planet faces is human humankind. So if humans didn't exist, this planet would be so much better off. Mm -hmm. So they sabotage the research project. So what happens is there's a research project. The idea is to go back to before that meteor arrived to examine, do a project, whatever, and then using the space-time targeting, remove themselves before impact. But somebody on that team goes with the express intention of going back there to make sure that humans never rise. Mm. So they deliberately change the target, as you were suggesting. They change where they're going to be landing. They set out to destroy all the women. And then it's a race to get back to the target point before the meteor arrives. Would something like that be of Yeah, sure. That's a great scenario. Yeah. Just getting back to how how the thing is targeted in in time, they're using magnetic pole flipping, which is the best fine scale at the moment they've got. The explanation is that there was just a micro-fluctuation in the geomagnetic pole reversal, you know, between the time when they put the living complex down there and when they actually sent the human team. Mm. And that's basically the, you know, the single sentence explanation for how they got there. I'm imagining the audience are not going to, you know, be super scientists. No. And that may be enough to just go, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Something something Uh, wrong happened, you know. Yeah. And here we are. And I don't care because, you know, it's a bunch of scientists trapped in dinosaur land. Yep. And they've, you know... Yeah, look, you can get away with anything using scientific, even gobbledygook. Yeah. As long as the logic that surrounds all that is solid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think if there's ever any problem with technology, that it's much more dramatic if it's because of human intervention on that technology. Yeah. So it's the technology is not at fault, but it's the human error yeah. in using that technology. Yeah. You know, it's like lost in space. You know, they end up lost in space thanks to Dr. Smith. You know, mm. it's always mm. it's always the person, you know, the human error involved that causes yeah. the, the it, problem. It has occurred to me exactly what you're saying. And, yeah, I'll definitely, I think, do something about that, you know. Mm. The only problem with what I was suggesting a moment ago, just thinking it through, is that obviously humans didn't rise up until much, much, much later. later. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, it's work like, through it. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've only been around like 100,000 years or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so the Darwinius at the uh, start with the chain around its neck obviously features in the film. So mm. it becomes um, Tanya's proxy child and it has a baby as well. And she manages to, at the very end, smuggle itself into her bag just as they're about to punch to the future again. Right. And there is no future there and they can't work out what, why it's vanished. And it's because little nice. Winnie is in her bag. Yes. So with all the aliens outside just, you know, completely attacking the living complex, they've got to now get out there and go into that milieu and then get Winnie into a spot where she'll be safe from this upcoming blast, which they now realise is probably either going to be a blast from the mothership mm. or the actual living complex gamma reactor itself mm-hmm. exploding mm. as the aliens finally destroy the living complex. The Aliens feels like a little bit of an afterthought in terms of what this story is. Um, no, it was very much in the forefront. Oh, no, no, I, I, I understand that when you were creating it. Yeah. But in terms of the story that we're exploring now, it feels like this is all about surviving in a prehistoric world. Hmm. It feels like Aliens is like an additional element that doesn't kind of need necessarily to be there. It's, it's interesting you say that because this, this point at which I'm stuck is uh, yeah basically they've got a big dinosaur chasing after them um they've just escaped from bad guy colonel who's still out there and then the very next scene around the midpoint is going to be the arrival of the meteor and then the realization that these are actually aliens and it's it yeah it does come as such a jolt from what's come previously except for that setup at the start where it is suggested that it's not a natural meteorite mm. There's that hint that's put down. Maybe that is why it's come to a stop. I normally will bash through these things. It might feel a little bit like somebody's hit the remote and changed channels. A, a bit like Dusk Till Dawn. Right, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, <laughs> road yeah, trip to yeah, vampires. Yeah, a little bit, yes, yeah. But, you know, people, but then, like, people like that film. <laughs> but, then, but then this feels like kind of three movies because mm. it's kind of like, we're set in this this you know modern day future, and then we go back to a prehistoric time, mm-hmm. and then we add aliens to the mix as well. So it sounds like it's it's three different pictures. So mm. I know it worked with Dust Till Dawn, that, but having that kind of midway that yeah. midpoint, but that was a, that was a conceit. Was, you know, that was a film about let's switch genres halfway through. That was yeah. the conceit of that film. Yeah, whereas which I, is which is not what you're trying to do. Uh, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, another question I wanted to ask also is that in the script it mentioned that one of the soldiers mentioned that the only reason Tanya was coming along is because she would be able to tell them the best way to kill these dinosaurs. And I thought surely they're, they're probably weaponized up to the hilt. Anything that they've got would easily take care of anything they had so that felt like a, a very weak reasoning and so i wondered they're going back to see a meteor so why does she have to be a paleontologist, a, a paleontologist? would it make more sense for her to be a geologist or a volcanologist so something that her astronomer speci- her specific expertise is the reason they want her to come along on this trip perhaps being a geologist that maybe one of the reasons they get cut off from the future or, or from the present 
They need to now find a new source of energy to get them back to the present. And so her knowledge of geology can help perhaps identify, you know, something around that site that could be a potential source of fuel to get them back. So it's more about, you know, like, you know, the minerals in the rocks or something. We could mix them to, you know, create some kind of chemical reaction. And then that way, you know, she has a valid reason around her expertise to be there. And it's her expertise that ends up saving the day and gets them all back there. So I wondered if that was something to consider as well. It definitely is. Yes, you've, you, you've again found it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. In the living complex, they're not meant to actually ever leave the living complex. So basically they're observing through, you know, this just to keep the environment pristine. So the fact that they're actually outside the living complex at all is a bad thing. And she is the only paleontologist on the team. I don't necessarily think it's extraordinary that they would ask a paleontologist along. But your point that she's there to, you know, tell them how to kill the dinosaurs is that you're correct that is a weak point yeah and also because they're going back in time to study the meteor Mm. they're not going back in time to retrieve dinosaurs and bring dinosaurs back no so i don't think it would be necessary for them to bring a paleontologist it would be nice to have one but i don't think that's a necessity because you've got these you know military team going in there and those guys are used to coming up against any kind of adversary. So I think from a military option, they wouldn't have any problem at all, but it would make more sense to have a different type of scientist that is going to be of benefit, be it a geologist, a volcanologist, or something that's going to has something to do with that meteor they, and the reason that they're going. She, she has to be a paleontologist in the story, so um, I have to find out a, a reason, or I have to think up a reason for her to be there because basically... She's the one that comes up with all the um, the novel ways of surviving the various dinosaurs. So, for instance, a Tarbosaurus, which is a giant Chinese T-Rex, is after them and they can't figure out why. They've run out of ammo, basically. They ran out of ammo very early on in the piece. It's only Johannes, the old scientist, who figures out he can actually make ammo using bits and pieces. You know, mm. gun, you know he can make gunpowder and he can fashion bullets and things like that. So he gives them a small amount of ammo, but everything else is just gone. Tanya, when, when this dinosaur is um, hunting them, realises that basically dinosaurs are like birds and birds are attracted, male birds anyway, are attracted to birds of the same colours that have the same plumage as them. They've put, they view them as aggressors, as something that's coming to their territory. And all they have to do in the end is just basically take off their clothes, which are red and green, and the Tarbosaur basically doesn't see them as a threat anymore. Hmm. She works that out because mm-hmm. she's a paleontologist. No one else could possibly work that out. So it's it's things like that which I you know that's the reason I believe she must be a paleontologist. Can I ask if they how are they going to if they're on the other side of the water how are they going to get to where they need? Do they, uh, do they, they have to cross water? How does it work? Well, the land masses back in those days are quite similar to today, strangely enough. There's not a lot of difference. So they were going to trek, but basically it's a conceit. Tanya and David and also Lobo know that it's an impossibility. They'd mm. have to trek something like 170 kilometres a day to get there. It's impossible. Mm. But they get going because they realise that otherwise the whole their whole little small group, team, whatever it is, is just going to fall apart mm. if they know that there's absolutely no hope of getting to where they're 
got to get to. Can I float another idea? What if instead of the guidance system dropping them in the wrong location, what if it just dropped them in the wrong time frame? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So instead of them arriving and thinking they've got six months Mm. to figure this out, Mm -hmm. that they've only got got a week. week. So they still have to survive in that week. You know, say their power supply is cut off, they got to find a new power source to try and get back or whatever, so then they can still confront the dinosaurs and everything. But now everything's ramped up because they've only got a week to kind of solve whatever their mm. issues are. Mm. So instead of it being, you know, this, you know, a location problem that it's it's now very much a time problem, mm. which is what time travel is essentially all about. That's yeah. why we're travelling back in time because this is a time issue. Yeah. I mean, it's a good idea. It puts a lot more pressure on the characters and, and, you know, reduces it down to the, you know, canonical one-week time frame of these type of films. But um, I, I still think that you need the, the long journey and you need to see these people go from um, being, you know, kitted up and fully teched out and all that sort of stuff and confident to being reduced. I want to see them reduced to cavemen mm. effectively. Mm. That's what I want to see. And I want to see their dynamics and everything reduced down to the very you know the lowest level of human interaction well that could that could still occur if say for instance they end up back in time but they don't have any of their resources that they were supposed to have when they got there Mm. maybe the living complex doesn't really exist or isn't actually fitted out so they actually do end up being there completely with no weapons or anything so they are have being having to reduce to that caveman mm. kind of mm. mentality like straight from day one mm. and then we see them also battle this you know short time frame but also clearly reduced to just having to you know rely on their wits yeah. and revert to those cave yeah. kind of um i've got another story options or this may be taking removing it sort of too far away from what your original intention was but what about if for instance there is no existential threat at the moment but they do have a weapon which has the potential to destroy say or like a meteor coming in or maybe divert a meteor coming in but there's no way of testing it so they go back in time they use that to go and do some tests on this big meteor which they know arrived Mm -hmm. Um, but they're just tests. They're not going to destroy it because they don't want to change history. However, when they get there, they find that they can't return. They're stuck there. Mm. So now the group breaks. You've got half the team which are just going to accept their fate and half the team that are saying, we've got this weapon, let's use it. Oh, mm. Let's wow. save our lives. That's a great idea. However, mm. we're also going to change history. Mm. Mm. So then you've got these two kind of ethical positions and they're doing battle, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then at the last minute, they're able to fix the time business and get out of there before the meteor hits. Mm. So they don't change time. I like that. They don't change history. Yeah. What I like about that idea is that it comes down to that ethical question. Mm. So as well as battling dinosaurs and all that and each other and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, there's a... That kind of ethical question does come up in the story because when they realise that they can't get to the living complex in time, 
to go back to the present. They, they do have to decide, well, do we just sit up on the surface and let ourselves get wiped out, as we know we will be, mm. or do we now find a cave somewhere really deep down and try and survive, have a family, whatever, mm. and in that way change the future? Because if humans start breeding in 66 million BC... We've got a completely different planet yep. on our hands. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I do love those kind of ethical dilemmas. You know, what's what's more important, everything or yourselves? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a time travel nut and I can talk time travel until <laughs> the cows come home. And that's one of my favourite subjects. The thing is, whatever time you travel to is always the present. It doesn't actually matter. If you go back 66 million years, the future that you came from no longer exists. If you're talking about real-time travel, so the moment you actually travel back 66 million years, the future you came from no longer exists. So whatever changes they make on Earth isn't going to change anything. Mm. Like, because they're just going to live, you know, their 70 years or whatever and then die. But what about... They might have... Families were, but the thing is, like, there's 66 million years in the past, you know, like, that's going to make no difference. You know, you, you, the you, next you, 70 <laughs> years is going to make no difference to, you know, like, what the future is. It's only if you're trying to preserve. Because that future what, no longer exists. That future no longer exists. Mm. You, you don't adhere to the back to the future. I'm holding the photograph of myself <laughs> and I'm vanishing. No, <laughs> no, no. Unfortunately, no, because I think if you travel back in time, you can't, I've, I believe. You could visit yourself in the past, but you couldn't visit yourself in the future. Okay, I'm going to suggest that time travel doesn't actually exist (laughs) and you can make up any damn rules you like as long as the logic is there. If it does exist, it exists now. That's the freaky thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It it must. It seems to me that this is like a classic kind of action-adventure. So I was wondering, are you thinking, is this going to be like a three-act structure? Yes, definitely. Okay, so if you find that you are getting stuck, what I always recommend is write your story and then when that's done, apply a structural template to that. But if you're getting stuck, then it may be helpful to look at the structure, you know, even at this early stage. You know, what is my inciting incident? What are my first and second act turning points? You know, darkest moment, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So maybe that's just something to to have a think about, see if that helps you move forward. I'm currently sort of uh, wondering, you know, who Tanya's going to wind up with because she was with David. She is currently with Conchita. Mm-hmm. Does she stay loyal to Conchita back in the future? Does she get back with David? I have no idea, uh, you know, what the pros and cons of that are today. So that's making me think a lot as well. A little thought on that. Her, you know, sexuality shouldn't be... should not really have any bearing on the story unless it's a source of antagonism for David. Mm-hmm. She shouldn't be resentful of her life choices and other people like David could be because, you know, he feels jaded that she left him for a woman. Yeah. But she should never feel like her choice was forced upon her because yeah. initially she's very angry at David. Mm. So I feel like it's the wrong choice to have her angry at David and that it should be the reverse and that um, if, if you choose to go that way, so, you know, maybe David was her phase, mm. you know, but she very definitely needs to be superior to David on every level as yeah. a human being. I, I but, totally agree. My current gut has her winding up with Viper, believe it or not, oh. in a um, sort of a 
three billboards kind of scenario. I want to see Viper go on a massive arc mm. and learn from Tanya. And they need each other in this world. I don't know. I mean, I've set him up as such a horrible person at the start. Yeah, but yeah. there's, all, there's also that if, dilemma that if they are back 66 million years ago, they're going to need a man and a woman if they're going to propagate the human race because if they don't, they're going to die. Gonna die Look, it, it feels to me like if she's come from a heterosexual relationship and she's moved into that lesbian relationship, if she goes back to heterosexual, then the message there is that... She's bi? No, that's real life. But because this is a film, there's a message that people are going to take away and it's that the lesbian relationship was, was the had less choice. value. Yeah. A yeah. mistake. Yeah. It was just a, a phase. Yeah, so. I, that, exactly. And that is what I'm trying to avoid. Yep, yep. That maybe potentially happens in real life, but because it's a film, you're making some kind of a statement. So mm. you, you need to be mindful of that. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for in today's episode. Please thank our guest writer, Adam Williams. Good luck with the rewrites, Adam. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. As always, everything that's been discussed in today's 10 pages remains your own intellectual property and you reserve the right to use as much or as little of it as you like. And to any writers, producers, directors or investors listening out there who may be interested in collaborating with Adam, how can they reach you? Uh, well, Adam the screenwriter at gmail.com or one word. If you have a project that you think needs development, please email us your logline, a brief synopsis and your first 10 pages to 10 pages. That's the number 10, not the word. 10 pages podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and keep on writing. Thank you.